everybody, this is Jack Bushman here with another episode of Talking Hockey. Today is Friday, February 22nd, which is crazy to say it's almost the end of February already, Hawks fans. Love that I've been able to keep up with the podcast all season long. It's been really awesome and up and down roller coaster season, but it really has gone by fast. Uh, since we last talked, the Blackhawks picked up some wild and wacky wins against some subpar teams. Monday night, the Blackhawks won a shootout 8-7 to at home against the last place Ottawa Senators. Then on Wednesday night, the Hawks traveled to Detroit to take on the longtime rival Red Wings, and the Hawks dominated the first 40 minutes of that game with a commanding 4-1 lead heading into the third. Detroit managed to tie the game up and force overtime, which broke my back. Where, but unfortunately uh, for the Hawks, who else but Patrick Kane, as Mike Tirico said so well in his first NHL broadcast, scored the overtime winner to save the Blackhawks from a tragic meltdown. These two games have just further confirmed what we have been saying on this podcast really for months now, and that is the defense simply just isn't good enough. Like, for example, we'll take a look at the 8-7 to win against the Ottawa Senators Monday night. It's a prime example. Uh, one of the weirdest hockey games I have ever watched in my entire life, in particular the first period, as nine goals were scored in the first 20 minutes of play. The Hawks went down 2 nothing after Colin Delia allowed a weak power play goal to Bobby Ryan. And then Rudolph Bowser's split Gustafson and Keith on a three-on-two and found himself wide open alone in front of the net and beat Colin Delia. Alex Zabrinka did manage to score two goals in a little over a minute to tie things up, and Patrick Kane was, further, was able to further extend his point streak to 18 games at the time. So overall, there was too much offense to break down really all the goals, but the Hawks' offense certainly took advantage of a poor and bad Ottawa Senators defense. But on the other end, the Hawks' defense looked just as bad all night long as all three defensive pairings really struggled in their own end. Even against the worst team in the league, Ottawa is literally dead last in points in the National Hockey League. And they're one of the worst road teams in the league as well. The defense still struggled to clear the puck out of their own zone, and they were just entirely too soft all night long in front of their goaltender. Eric Gustafson and Duncan Keith in particular had a rough night. Uh, Gustafson was a minus two. Keith was a minus one. And that pairing to me just is really awful. They're both like third-line defensemen at this point. You know, obviously Gus is known for his offense, not the power play. And Keith just can't play significant minutes at this point in his career. He just has too much mileage on his body. Uh, so it's unfortunate to see that uh, really – Keith, he's still a good defenseman. He still does a lot of good things for this team, and obviously behind the scenes, off the ice, uh, he's a big uh, leader uh, and uh, role model to a bunch of the young guys in the clubhouse. But it's tough to see him still having to play in a role that he's just not best fit for at this point in his career. Uh, it was nice to see Alex DeBrinket, though, record his fourth career hat trick already in his career. He scored his 30th, his 31st, and his 32nd goal of the season. Uh, DeBrinket is red hot right now. He has really um, slated himself as a premier goal scorer in the NHL the past couple of months. He has 18 goals in the past 24 games. To put his season total now at 33, man, I can't wait. Till he hits 40 goals, knock on wood, hope I don't jinx it. But he has been awesome uh, the last two months or so. 
Uh, overall, you know, a win is a win, but the Hawks were lucky they played against a bottom-tier team like Ottawa with the effort they gave Monday night. A lot of bad goals allowed. 8-7 to seven was just a wacky game. Two points is two points, though, but uh, against probably anyone else besides the Ottawa Senators, Hawks probably lose that game. Looking at the game now Wednesday night in Detroit, always great to see these two teams play. I miss the rivalry. Uh, the visits to Detroit are no longer played in Joe Lewis Arena, which kills me. But uh, beating them in their own arena still is always satisfying. Uh, the Hawks got off to a really good start early on in this game. It's just a minute 39 into the first. Artem Anisimov picked up, uh, or he picked Philip uh, Ronick's pocket. And when uh, Pat Foley first said Hronik, I really thought Jeremy Ronick was on the ice for a second there. I was really confused. I thought I was watching a, a game from 15 years ago. But uh, Anisimov was able to pick his pocket and sneak one through Jimmy Howard's five-hole to go up one nothing early on in the first. It was Anisimov's 10th goal of the season, just 10 goals on the year for Artie. As he's been playing on the third line as of late, still making $4.5 million. Man, it would be great if the Blackhawks would be able to trade him at the trade deadline. I just don't see it as a realistic option, really, unless someone's willing to bite the bullet and take on his contract, which I don't think someone's going to do straight up. I think if the Blackhawks have any hope of moving, moving Artem Anisimov, it would have to be in a package deal. I think much like the deal uh, that the, we made uh, when we traded Brian Bickle away to the Carolina Hurricanes, it, you know, we traded Bickle away with his bad contract and his little production, but we had to give away Table Terravine and who's turned into a stud for them out there and just signed a very cheap contract for Carolina for long term. So I think the only way Anisma would uh, get moved, especially with a 10-team no-movement clause, he can only get moved to a 10-team list right now, uh, is if we packaged either a young prospect, which we don't really have any good forward prospects, so that would have to be one of our defensive prospects. Probably not Boquist or Yoki Haru, but likely uh, Ian Mitchell or Nicholas Bodan, which I wouldn't want to do at this point with uh, the state of our defense. Or we could package him with someone like Brandon Saad, uh, or maybe on the back end, Gustav Forsling, uh, not as likely as Forsling, but Eric Gustafson possibly if the price is right. But Anisimov has been uh, really uh, devastating to this team. When he can provide for this team offensively, I feel good for the guy because he's really had a struggle year and he's been successful in the past with this team. But the fact of the matter is uh, the game today is just way faster than it, it was a couple years ago. And Artem Anisimov is not known for his skating ability. And he's making a bunch of money. Uh, theoretically to be the second line center of the future, but the Blackhawks had to go out and make a move this season to get a second line center of the future because it clearly wasn't working with Anisimov in that role. So, you know, it's really a back and forth of what can we do with Artem Anisimov here because there's so many restrictions on him right now. But it's just really tough uh, to see, you know, that he's only had 10 goals on the season. He should be up near 20 goals every season. That's what we expect out of him for the money we're paying him. But good to see him record that tally early on in the uh, first period, not to just completely shit on Anisimov for like a whole two minutes there. But nice <laughs> nice goal there, Anisimov. Uh, but, yeah, just not very likely that he gets moved at this deadline. I really don't expect too much from the Blackhawks at this deadline as a team. But Anisimov with that 10-team 
trade list is just uh, really unlikely to get moved to get moved. So um, I'm not just I'm just not sure if the juice is worth the squeeze uh, to trade like Artie along with like a prospect like Bodan or Mitchell or someone like that. I just don't think it'll be worth it. Uh, I mean, depending on what the price is, obviously, but more than likely we wouldn't get a good return for someone like Artem Anisimov. But uh, thanks for the goal, Artie. As I said, gave the Blackhawks a one nothing lead early on in the first period. Dylan Larkin would be able to uh, respond and tie the game up shortly after. But the Blackhawks would go on to score the final two goals of the period as Brandon Saad snapped one blocker side, passed Jimmy Howard to go up 2-1. to one. And then Alex DeBrinkett roofed his 33rd goal of the season after a phenomenal feed from good buddy Dilly Dilly Dylan Strom. Looking at the Brandon Saad goal, his 21st of the season, Dylan Sakira made a nice stretch pass that kind of took a fortunate bounce. And Saad found himself with a two-on-one and fired one past Jimmy Howard uh, between the 10-hole, right between the armpit. Uh, and then for Alex Dabrinkit's 33rd goal of the season, beautiful feed from Dylan Strom after Eric Gustafson entered the zone with speed. And he pulled up with his head up looking uh, to create the opportunity, and he found Strom who made a nice quick pass over to Dabrinkit, and he knows what to do with uh, the puck when he has it in the slot. Patrick Kane would go on to score the only goal of the second period on a two-on-one of his own to extend his point streak to 19 games where he currently is at. It was Kane's 37th goal of the season, and he always seems to play well in Detroit. Uh, some memorable goals he has there, that backhand, dirty backhand goal of uh, Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals in 2009. That dirty shootout goal he had, uh, I'm not sure what season it was, but where he went through his own legs and then stuffed it home uh, against Jimmy Howard, five hole, and Howard was all pissed because he had no idea how it beat him. Uh, but some good memories from uh, Patrick Kane, obviously now in Little Caesars Arena, but some good memories from Patrick Kane in Detroit. And then, uh, we saw the Blackhawks go into the third period with a 4-1 to lead. It looked convincing, but they still managed somehow to blow it. We saw in the er, uh, early on in the third, Dylan Larkin took advantage of soft coverage by Carl Dahlstrom to make it a 4-2 game. Dahlstrom has really struggled his last five or six games after uh, playing very well with Connor Murphy. Uh, on the third defensive pairing for a pretty solid, like, 20-game stretch there. They were really the Blackhawks' shutdown pairing. They both played well, uh, despite getting uh, most of the defensive zone draws. Both of their defensive zone start percentages were at, like, 67 68%. So they were the pairing that uh, Jeremy Calton was going to in his own zone. So uh, unfortunate to see that Dahlstrom has been struggling as of late, but you kind of expect, uh, you know, a rookie – who's really in his first stretch of uh, serious NHL games here. You know, you kind of expect him to go through a little bit of a teething period, as you could say. Uh, but Dahlstrom uh, tonight, of course, uh, we're not sure about his status. He uh, is sick. It'll be uh, something to keep an eye on for Blackhawks fans tonight. But back to the Red Wings game. As I said, Dylan Larkin took advantage of Dahlstrom's soft coverage right out in front. Nice pass by Mantha to make it a 4-2 game. And just a minute later on the power play, Andreas Athanasiu scored a remarkable lacrosse-style goal from behind the goal line off the back <clears throat> of Cam Ward. And it quickly became a 4-3 game, and the Red Wings had all the momentum 
The Hawks' worst nightmare later came true as with just a minute 30 left in the game, Athanasiu scored his second goal of the game with the extra attacker out to tie the game up. Anthony Mantha made a fantastic pass to pick up his fourth assist of the game and expose Duncan Keith uh, for being in no man's land in front of his own goalie. We say that just way too often. Keith needs to start taking the body in front of the net. He's too often caught looking at the puck and trying to play the quick stick game. He's not as fast and quick as he used to be. He needs to realize he needs to be more physical in front of the net uh, to help out his team and goaltender. So, yes, the Red Wings were able to tie things up after being down three goals in the third period, and they eventually forced overtime, which, you know, is always a crapshoot for the Blackhawks all season long. They have nine overtime losses already this season. And in this game, there or this overtime period, there was some good back-and-forth action. And Cam Ward was fantastic in overtime. And really, Cam Ward, he's, he was fantastic all night long uh, once again. He has been fantastic in the past month or so, uh, really since off recent memory, that, that embarrassing road loss to the New Jersey Devils where he got pulled after two periods. He's been really good since that uh since that game, he's been looking like a legitimate uh, number one. Possibly Cam Ward. I, I doubt he gets moved at the deadline just because of his full no-movement clause, which I'm still not sure why Stan Bowman did. But for maybe a team that needs goaltending, um, can't really even say the Philadelphia Flyers. They have so many goalies on the roster. But someone needs a goaltender. Uh, maybe if Columbus does decide to move Bob Rovsky at the deadline to get something in return for him, they could go out and, uh, you know, maybe get a goalie like Cam Ward, but I'm not really sure. Not very likely that Cam Ward is going anywhere. There hasn't really been any talks about Cam Ward going anywhere. Uh, but he made some gigantic saves, especially in overtime and late uh, in the third period. And eventually the Hawks got the right players on the ice as Jonathan Taze won a puck battle to find Gustafson at the point, and he put it in Kaner's wheelhouse for a one-timer and the overtime game-winning goal. It was Kane's 38th goal of the season, second goal of the night, and 92nd point of the season. He has accomplished his second-highest point total of his career in just 60 games. He has 22 games left in the season to play. Patrick Kane has my MVP vote as he seems to come up big every game and in every clutch situation for his team. I know Nikita Kucherov is absolutely tearing it up. He has you know, 100 points in 60, 62 games or whatever it is out there. Uh, but, man, I just – <laughs> I have no idea where the Hawks would be without Patrick Kane. Or, I mean, actually, I do. It would be in dead last place. I, it would, the Hawks would be in dead last place in the Western Conference if they didn't have Patrick Kane. So, Kane's overtime winner put the Hawks back at 500 as they now have a 26-26-9 record on the season with 61 points. And it actually put them uh, into the second wildcard spot for uh, a little less than an hour until the Colorado Avalanche defeated the Winnipeg Jets 7-1 to to uh, jump the Blackhawks in the standings and uh, boot, uh, give them the boot right out of the playoffs. Uh, but Speaking of the Avalanche, there are some gigantic games coming up this weekend for the Blackhawks with two teams currently right in the middle of the playoff race in the Western Conference coming to town. Tonight, the Colorado Avalanche are here 
And they currently have the same amount of points as the Blackhawks do. Both teams have 61 and are one point behind the Minnesota Wild for the second wildcard spot. And the winner could find themselves in a playoff position if the Wild lose to the Detroit Red Wings tonight. Of course, the Minnesota Wild are on the back end of a back-to-back, and they are also on the road. They are in Detroit tonight. So both uh, are... It will be a gigantic tilt for Minnesota tonight and for, obviously, the Blackhawks playing with uh, playing against a team that they are tied with in the standings. The Blackhawks have had some success against the Avalanche, though, this season. Uh, but after that gigantic tilt tonight, the Hawks play the Dallas Stars at 2 p.m. on Sunday. And the Stars are currently uh, in the first wild card spot. So these next two games are going to be extremely crucial to the Blackhawks' playoff hopes. And two wins would really go a long way, uh, as most Blackhawks fans know, because uh, they've been following it so closely. Corey Crawford is also closer, getting closer and closer to returning. So it would be nice to have him come back uh, with the team in a good position. So looking at the game tonight at 6.30 versus the Colorado Avalanche, we do know that Colin Delia will be starting uh, in net for the Hawks. Delia has had some rough games after signing his recent contract, and uh, he is expected uh, that once Corey Crawford returns that he will be sent back down to Rockford uh, for their playoff run. Uh, he'll be opposed tonight by Simeon Varlamov, who has been very good lately. He's 3-1-0 with a 1.01 goals allowed average in his, fat, in his past four starts. In big news for the Blackhawks, they called up Henry Yoki Haru this morning. Thank God. But they did call him up in an emergency basis because uh, Brent Seabrook will not be able to play with an abdominal strain tonight. And Carl Dahlstrom is sick as the flu bug is really rolling around the Blackhawks right now. Uh, Brennan Perlini just got hit with the flu and missed the last game. Uh, he, we expect Perlini to be in the lineup tonight, unfortunately, on the fourth line, which is so stupid. He's going to walk for nothing this offseason. But uh, it's yet to be seen if Dahlstrom will be able to play. Uh, so that will be one thing to keep an eye on tonight as the Blackhawks hit the ice. The Avalanche appear to have broken up that top trio of uh, Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Rantanen after recent struggles as each star is currently on their own line. This is a battle of two high-scoring teams with two very good power plays to go along with two equally bad penalty kills. The Avalanche had the eighth-best power play, and they scored the ninth-most goals in the league, while the Hawks have the ninth-best power play and score the seventh-most goals in the league. So the stats are kind of eerily similar. And as for the PKs, they're kind of eerily similar as well. You already know the Blackhawks' penalty kill is still trash. Dead last in the league, and they've been there for at least the last two and a half months now. The Avalanche have the 26th-ranked PK. So this could be another high-scoring affair for the Blackhawks, even though the two previous games have been low-scoring games. Uh, These two teams have played twice this season. They played twice in about a week in late December, and the Hawks won both meetings by one goal. And the most recent meeting uh, went to overtime, where Patrick Kane, of course, scored the overtime winner. He has two goals and two assists in the two meetings this season. And speaking of Kane, he's looking to extend his 19-game point streak to 20 tonight. He has 16 goals and 26 assists for 42 points in his past 19 games. So he has just been terrific of late, really carrying the Chicago Blackhawks and willing them uh, you know, into the playoff race. 
Alex Dabrinkit has also been red hot lately with 10 goals and 13 assists in his past 13 games. And Jonathan Taze is currently on a four-game point streak and has 19 points in his past 12 games. So the offense is rolling for the Blackhawks, and hopefully they take advantage of a weak defense tonight. So I think that'll about wrap up this episode of Talking Hockey, folks, with the Blackhawks coming on in about an hour. As always, thank you to everyone who listened. I appreciate it so much. A quick little episode. Make sure to give the Talking Hockey Twitter page a follow, which is at Talk Hockey, uh, at Talk Hockey on Twitter for all Blackhawks coverage 24-7 and live tweeting of every Blackhawks game. Blackhawks have a huge weekend coming up, and hopefully it will result in two gigantic victories. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again, everyone. Go Hawks, and as always, make our defense great again. Peace out.